start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end of the world as we know it Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about cities, infrastructure, natural disasters, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. Megan, how will you die in New York City? Uh, Probably a hipster stabbing incident, kind of a Gangs of New York thing, but without the terrible accents. And the hipster in this case is my Brooklyn-based brother, because if I have to ride out a hurricane with him, there's definitely going to be some bloodshed. Are you going to take his, like, wire-frame glasses and, like, throw them into the water and be like, now what? No, if I really want to torture him, I'm going to take his turntables and his vinyl because he's a vinyl-only DJ. Yes, he's one of those kind of people from Brooklyn. (laughs) Well, that actually kind of leads into how I would die. Oh, yeah? How are you going to die? Because in the scenario where I live in New York, I'm obviously a crazy hipster, right, with lots of vinyl. So if it wasn't Godzilla, if it's not Aliens, It will be that I refuse to leave my vinyl records and my vinyl record player because I live and die hipster. Uh, So basically, I got flooded, but I wouldn't leave my vinyl records. And so I swam out eventually because I was able to float my record player. But (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Quite a floatable piece of equipment. I'll figure I'll have like a floaty or something. There must be something. Like a like one of those like unicorn floaty things, because hipsters have those, so I probably will have one too. And because I cut myself slicing my bagel the day before, uh, and I didn't bother to put a band-aid or neosporin on it because, you know, why worry about such little things in life? No, you're invincible. Yeah, I know. I got st- a staph infection, and then it transformed into MRSA, and then I died. That's really unfortunate. I know. Should have put neosporin on my cut and a band-aid. Well, that's the message of this episode. Let's go. <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> this episode is over. But seriously, what's the worst case scenario? What do doomsdayers say is going to happen to New York? So the thing about New York that's amazing slash awful is that there are so many different scenarios. But the worst case, worst, worst case is that, well, so the real worst case would be like a dirty bomb um, or some sort of like nuclear meltdown in the nuclear plant like um, like 35 miles north of it. But we're not going to talk about that as much today a little bit yeah we'll touch on it some but we we're really focused on natural disasters and how our built environment and that natural world are just so deeply incompatible with each other worst case scenario is actually not sandy um it would be the new york bite which is b-i-g-h-t not b-i-t-e even though that would be kind of a badass name i was pretty excited for the delicious sounding new york bite until i got my written notes i bet you it's a sandwich somewhere and they don't even realize how like ironic they're being so basically the new york bite is so the harbor has a really narrow mouth and the way that the land is formed it basically creates like a pipe or a chute that would direct water basically just like a basic pipeline but basically that water would just go down the chute and hit new york city um, in a 30-foot storm surge. And so it would just be like a wall of water. Not like a tsunami, but not unlike a tsunami. The Army Corps of Engineers report said that it would be like a giant bulldozer sweeping away everything in its path. 
And normally, you know, Army Corps of Engineers reports are a little bit dry. So for them to write that is pretty, it's saying something. They're not prone to hyperbole at all. Engineers in general are pretty dry, but Army Corps of Engineers, nothing really faces them. So that's the worst case scenario. So is that something that's caused by a hurricane situation or high winds? Like what makes water come rushing through that chute? So that could be a a nor'easter, which is like a hurricane, only is counterclockwise. I'm so glad you've explained that to me because I've heard it my whole life and had literally no idea what that really meant. Yeah, nor had I until I was like, wait, a nor'easter. And then, or it could be a hurricane, which is, you know, your normal. So both of these situations could result if they were forceful enough and hit, um, on the north end of New Jersey, um, if they hit, so basically they hit the land the right way, that's what would form this chute or the New York Bight. So we've got this threat of the New York Bight. We've got a highly, highly developed city, but what are really the risks? You said that it's going to come in with 30 feet of storm surge. What's that going to mean? That means a lot of destruction. It means that cars are going to be thrown around. It's going to be just like all of those disaster movies that you see whenever terrible things happen to poor New York City. It's not. It's actually kind of interesting. It's not that hard to envision because we've seen it in the movies before. And so that would be not optimal, obviously. Yeah, there's nothing screenwriters love more than the total destruction of New York City. It's like their go-to. And so that's actually, I put that down as one of the risks and vulnerabilities, is that for people, for situations, like there's just so many ideas that have been... People are very creative and they have lots of movies about it, which give people ideas. Another vulnerability of New York City that's kind of unexpected is all the tourists that are there every day. And not because we don't like tourists or that tourists aren't great people. It's just that tourists don't know the city at all. They won't know where to go. Yeah, I've never considered before what it means to have huge populations of people who don't know the area, don't have a support system there, don't really have a place that they can shelter other than like their hotel or Airbnb, and don't even know necessarily who to ask for help or where to go for it because they're just visitors. It's not something that you really put on your list of things to do when planning a vacation. You're not like, pack bags, cancel the mail, uh, research the emergency management page to see where I would go for disaster information once I survive. In New York City, there is a high proportion of people there that English is not a language they speak or, or their first language. And so this is difficult whenever you're trying to transmit emergency ma- like messages to people because a lot of the people just won't have access to them or understand them. New York City is also just incredibly built out. Um, The infrastructure is old. And when I've seen early pictures of New York that show that it was actually like a hilly forested area, I literally cannot wrap my mind around it being the same place as what we think of as Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queens and all that now, because we have just changed the landscape so extremely. I think like 40% of the critical facilities and infrastructure are within that 30-foot storm surge area you pointed to. So we're talking about our water, our electricity, our communication systems. A lot of it's not upgraded. Yeah, and believe it or not, uh, when things like subway tunnels or phone switching stations fill with water, they become fairly useless. They even saw that um, after 9-11 when they poured water on the buildings because they were now burning rubble, um, they filled up the underground communications like tubes with water that ended up like knocking out cell phone and phone service for a long period of time. So you already had people 
trying to escape who now didn't have the ability to do any communication. And also for the climate change aspect of it, uh, we can just expect a lot more rainstorms, more hurricanes in New York City, but also, you know, more urban heat islands as well. So just more extreme everything for the weather. Yeah. And one of the things um, in researching that this episode that I saw on New York Emergency Management's webpage is that, yeah, they're concerned about hurricanes. Yeah, those big natural disaster events are things they want people to be prepared for. But extreme heat and extreme cold were what they listed as like the greatest risks to the people who live in New York City. And um, that's only getting worse where they're predicting that extreme heat events are going to come more frequently, that they're going to be longer than they've been in the past. Um, I think they're like average like three days now and they're looking at a, another day and a half longer um, for each one. So that's that's not insignificant when you're talking about vulnerable populations, the old and children and people who don't have adequate housing. It becomes this like really horrible multiplying factor and you didn't necessarily have a giant storm blow in. It's just the weather got a little too aggressive for you. The one thing that people also forget, it's not just vulnerable populations. I mean, especially them. People are very vulnerable. We have weak little skins. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not very like resilient bodies. Like, like we don't have, like the only reason why we've survived is we have our brains to build energy for heat and insulation for um, like the cold. We are also very vulnerable. Like everyone's vulnerable, and New York City is vulnerable to losing our energy supply. If something should take out our critical infrastructure systems for our energy or our water, that would mean the entire city is vulnerable to hypothermia or heat exhaustion. Yeah, New York City is no stranger to brownouts and blackouts that take out power for hours and hours at a time. And if you start to multiply that over days and weeks, you really start to see how miserable life in the city could be. However, New York is not all the risk and vulnerability. There's some strengths to the city as well. There are things that make it um, capable of withstanding so many of the things that have already been thrown at it and um, could probably help it through no matter what happens. I don't know about you, but all the New Yorkers that I know, like I'm not too worried about them. They're all kind of badasses. They're going to figure it out. And these are people, I mean, people, if you choose to live in New York City, like you thrive on getting things done and you kind of thrive on that anxiety and the time constraints, and the chaos that comes with living in New York City. I feel like if there's any people that are capable of dealing with, you know, this kind of uncertainty and chaos, it's them. And I think they really um, step up for each other. I think we saw that in Sandy. People were posting messages online saying, if you need a couch, come here. If you need power, come here. They were running extension cords out to the street just so people could charge cell phones. Um, and they were really kind of – there was this full recognition they were in it together. Um, I don't know. Have you heard of the 9-11 boat lift? So the 9-11 boat lift happened um, on September 11th couldn't get people out of lower Manhattan. There was literally no existing plan for an evacuation of lower Manhattan because it had just never occurred to people that you might need to move that many people out of the area in like a really fast way. Um, and within 10 minutes of the first plane hitting the first tower, they had like shut down trains. Um, the more information that came in, the more like transportation systems were being taken away. And you ended up with all these people who desperately wanted to get out of the area. The air was full of rubble and dust and they just needed to get out, but there was no way to get out. They had stopped the flow of traffic in 
to like respond to the area and cut off all ability to leave as well. And kind of spontaneously boats started showing up at that lower end of the island and taking people away. And over the radios, they kind of made a call for like any and all boats that could take passengers to come and like grab people. And I think they moved like half a million people in nine hours no. out of lower Manhattan what? and just like anywhere they could take them. That's amazing. And I've I've seen like people talking about it who like boat captains that day and they very much say like nobody called them to do it. Nobody asked for it. They just saw people in need and jumped in and they were like, we had people covered in dust, these like gray ghosts. We had children without parents. We were just moving people out of the area as fast as possible and kind of leaving it to be sorted later. But it's just like this incredible example of how when a need arises, people will step in and start to kind of provide for one another. thing that struck me is that they, the thing they definitely said is they're not waiting for the feds or FEMA to come in. Like they're like, they're going to take too long and they don't know the city. And so all of their plans are very regional. They have, they've divided up the city into like, into 150 uh, evacuation zones. Um, they have the police trained. They, they've trained from like the policemen to the subway workers. Like everyone's kind of trained on like emergency management. And so this also gives them a lot of resiliency in terms of their their, their civil civil workers. And also for like diseases and things like that. Uh, New York City has a good, has a green status, which means that it has immediate access to our national repository of vaccines. And they're so prepared for something to happen that they really have thought through a lot of the different scenarios and how to address them. And also they're feisty. New Yorkers are so feisty. <laughs> so the closest thing New York has experienced in recent history to like this New York bite, it wasn't nearly to that level, but that was Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. So Hurricane Sandy, like I said, not close to the New York bite. That You're talking about 30 feet of storm surge there. Um, it had a little over almost 14 feet of storm surge. But that was enough to float houses off their foundations. I think there was like a 33-foot wave measured coming into uh, – coming on land. That's so crazy. It, there was, what, 80-mile-per-hour winds. It was a significant hurricane to make it all the way up the coast to New York City. And it really brought so much water into the city. I think there was about 30 feet down at Ground Zero, like filling the memorial site there. They had to close down subway stations because they had filled with water. They had underground cabling that had filled with water. Um, Essentially, like, water and infrastructure really don't mix. Um, (laughs) Who would have guessed? Yeah. I thought they were perfect. And so when you add... uh, you know, 14 feet of water to an area that's supposed to be dry so that it can provide services. Strangely enough, services are lost. And so, yeah, one of the main power plants lost power from Hurricane Sandy. Uh, there was like a big explosion. It took out like half the energy for lower Manhattan for several days. And then you end up having to depend on generator power for your emergency services Some people have generators. Some people don't. Some people test their generators. Some people don't. So if you have generators, test your generators because um, just having one is not an assurance that you're going to have power after an event. And I think that was at NYU Hospital, the generators failed. And that, like, you know, you can't have hospitals losing power. That's a risk to everybody's life who's in the place. You mentioned that, what, 72 people died from hypothermia during um, Sandy. 
just from exposure to the water and the winds. Mm -hmm. And then 147 people, I think, directly died from the hurricane itself. So the secondary effects for a lot of the hurricanes that we've seen in all the cities is that it it's not necessarily the hurricane itself that kills you. It's the exposure to those elements afterwards. And especially when you're talking New York, like hurricanes that are in the south, they have a generally warmer climate. And so, yeah, you still have um, issues of exposure. You still don't want to be in flood water. You don't want to be exposed to the elements. But when we're talking about a colder climate, you add people getting wet, you add heavy wind, and now you've got a really like good recipe for people getting too cold and not being able to maintain their body temperature. And when you can't maintain your body temperature, you can't maintain your body's functions. Yeah. I grew up in like a, in Pennsylvania and, um, but in the mountains, so it got really cold. So it was basic preparation that we always had. And maybe this is where my preparation, like, like fanaticism kind of started is that like in our car, we always had a thermal blanket. We always had bottled water and food. Um, besides our thermal blanket, we also had like several other blankets and sandbags to stabilize our car. Um, because if we were to slide off the road, especially in where I live, there wasn't a lot of cell phone service. Uh, to this day, there's not really cell phone service at my house. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so if we were to slide off the road, nobody would find us. So we'd have to know that we'd be able to stay in our car overnight and below zero temperatures and be okay. In in the Pacific Northwest, that's not as much a fear because I don't think it really gets lower than like 20 degrees here. Yeah, there have been a few occasions, but I've never seen that sub-zero temperature here. And when it snows here, it's always sort of a marvel and a kind of situation we never anticipated. So you don't have people preparing to winter over in their cars the same way. And literally, I grew up hiking with my dad, who frequently would be like, don't become a recovery mission. So. <laughs> Suddenly, like, I'm, I'm understanding so much more about how we became like this. Yeah, this we... little six-year-old with her backpack. <laughs> like, I, like, will, I will never be recovery mission. Yeah. I will always be a, a recover. I have sufficient food and water. <laughs> no storms taking me down. <laughs> so, Megan, how did we make this worse? Well... I feel like the answer more and more when we talk through these cities is going to be baby boomers. (laughs) I was going to say because we built a city there, but also baby Baby boomers. boomers. Yeah. We we built the nation's biggest city and economic center on a strip of land surrounded by water. And I understand the importance of ports. I will never downplay the importance of ports. I know why cities um, popped up where they did. But we took good waterfront land and manipulated it into a extremely built environment. And nowhere is that more true in the U.S. than New York City. Yeah, because before, as always, it's, you know, wetlands and things to protect the, the actual land from these kinds of storms. And then we were like, you know what we need to do? Pour concrete on it. Yeah, and literally every time we need a new form of infrastructure, we, like, look around and we're like, that piece of land looks really flat. What a nice place to build an airport. And then the rains come and we're like, oh, it was so flat because it was a wetland. Oops. (laughs) Oopsie daisy. Yeah, so basically concrete building where we shouldn't have built is our fault. And then we didn't upgrade our infrastructure. And a lot of the infrastructure options that we've uh, used to kind of account for this they're not really very green or they're not very adaptable. 
Yeah, they don't work with the environment. They work against it. They try to control it or they didn't take it into consideration at all because things had been pretty rosy when it was built. Um, And that's left us kind of with these greater impacts than we could have anticipated. Like these storms could have come in and had natural wetland, had natural barriers, had us build back from the water in a way that uh, didn't put our infrastructure at risk. But instead, New York City is built straight up to the seawall. We put a whole bunch of critical infrastructure right there on the edges of the island. And we shoved a million buildings and like eight million people into the area. And what then... could go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go yeah, wrong? In and then this we situation? just looked around being like, I hope a really horrible wind and storm surge doesn't come through here because how do you evacuate a million people, two million, eight million people? You just you can't. Um, and that leaves people counting on the infrastructure they're in to protect them because they're going to have to ride it out. The one good thing is that after 9-11, they did change the code so that all of the um, communication and electrical um, finaglings for the for the, the buildings, uh, that they would have to be above the storm surge level, uh, like on the second floor or third floor, to, pr- to protect them from storm surge slash any other kind of disasters. So that's one thing. And they've also, they're going to invest $20 billion in making New York City more resilient. But save that, like, because that hasn't quite happened. What can you do in the moment of the hurricane to survive? So how are we going to survive in New York City? (laughs) What are you putting in that survival bag? (laughs) My survival bag is quite large. Yeah, she sent me this list and I immediately said, we're not sitting here all day listening to you list this. (laughs) You need to pick three. Yeah, so this is kind of hard. I'm still trying to pick the three so you can go first with your list. All right. Mine is also more than three, but more reasonable than Megan's. (laughs) Uh, Vital records. So if you're going to have to evacuate, you don't want to leave things behind that are key to your identity or the key information about your life. So copies of vital records, your actual passport, your birth certificate, plywood so that I can prepare my home. And if worse comes to worse, you know, use it to float away in the storm surge kind of a la Titanic. <laughs> and much like Titanic, I'm not letting you ride with me. He could have totally been on that door. It's not even debatable. Yeah. Come on, Rose. Uh, Backup power for my phone, but also a written list of phone numbers, maybe even people's real addresses. Um, I know nobody's expected to memorize anything anymore because it's always right there at our fingertips. I don't want to be trying to find somebody who can house me or let me hang out with them for a while and not actually know where they live without being able to get a text message through. So keep an address book. Go a little bit old school. And then my end of the world cocktail for this one is going to be the French 75 because champagne's my favorite food and gin's my favorite liquor. The Statue of Liberty is from France too. Yeah, there's a connection there. And it's deeply classy like New York. Yes, it is. My drink is the Manhattan. So the ingredients for a Manhattan are be my first thing to escape with. Pretty on the nose there. I know, I know. The next thing I'll have is a solar charger. This is mostly because whenever I was talking to people from Hurricane Sandy, they're like, Megan, it's like North Korea here. Um, you know, we can't get our cell phone service. And first of all, like that's a little bit hyperbolic. I It'll never be like North Korea. So a solar charger that you can plug into your phone, that means that you won't have to stand in like those long lines waiting for electricity to come back. 
which is pretty nice. And you'll be able to get a hold of people faster. I'll have a thermal blanket, all Uniqlo's heat tech undergarments, uh, because I love them. I'm not being sponsored by them. I just love them so much. But because in Hurricane Sandy, a lot of people who died, they died of hypothermia. And so thermal blankets, things to keep you warm, those are important. If they're waterproof, even better. Probably a face mask, a surgical face mask and some gloves. Um, just because in goggles, I, you know how I love my goggles. Uh, just because you don't know there's going to be debris, there's going to be things. Also, if there is some sort of chemical, nuclear, some sort of attack like that, it's good to have that. Okay, you're at the point where you can't possibly carry all of this stuff. It's just going to be Megan in like six little red wagons trying to escape a hurricane. No, no, no. All of these things can fit into like into one of those like little sandwich bags because they fold down really quickly. Except for the solar charger. That's a little bit bigger. But yeah, like you have like a little pair of gloves, little surgical mask. That's two inches of room. I would just take out the pills, but I would actually have like some spirulina and some potassium iodine for radiation poisoning just in case. You never know. Proof that Megan's going to survive when I do not. <laughs> it's just it's just good to have. It really does. Like if you take it, it, it protects. Um, also, if there's some sort of like dirty bomb or anthrax or something, just like take off your clothes. Like before you even enter your house, get them out of there. Take a shower. Take all the potassium iodine you can get your hands on and just stay there. So now I'm just picturing you in the middle of a hurricane <laughs> with your six little red wagons nude in the streets, <laughs> popping every pill you can find. So we may well, no, all survive, I said, I said, it's going to be. I said stay in the apartment. I said stay in the apartment. But I also have a blow-up kayak, and that would actually take up room in my survival bag. Yeah, but once I float out of the area, I don't need it anymore. That's true. Or I can use it to start a fire. And then duct tape, because you always need duct tape for random things. And then a hand crank flashlight, just because you'll probably run out of batteries at some point. And then a leash for my cat, because, you know, I need to make sure that if I had a cat, your high anxiety cat. My high anxiety cat that no longer lives with me. But if he did, I would have a leash for him so that like I wouldn't have to worry about losing him. And like a little cat sensory deprivation helmet so that he doesn't get too scared. That's a really good idea. I wonder if that thing exists. That's going to be a whole nother little red wagon yeah. for you. While we don't always know what the path a hurricane's going to take, we don't always know how strong it will be when it hits us, especially when we're looking many days and weeks out. You can build kits with the expectation that hurricanes are going to come. And then when you see a hurricane coming, you can actually follow the directions people give you about like whether you should stay in the area, whether we're sheltering in place, whether you need to evacuate because evacuating before there's high winds and water uh, battering down the doors of your home is a lot easier than um, that. I'm trying to get you out of there when you're, you know, waving from the top floor and wishing that somebody would please help you out of your flooded home. You're like, guys, I have my hurricane floaty, but it didn't float as well as I expected. Now, once it hits, that's a different story. So, yeah, I think the first thing I would do is whenever I thought that there was a hurricane coming, I would, like, find a policeman and just be like, what now? Tell me what to do, police officer. I know you have more information than me because they always have more information than you. They have those radios. Go to them. Get them to tell you what's going on. But then the next thing I would do is I'd turn off all the utilities, shut off the electricity, unplug everything. Because the last thing you need is an electrical current going through the water and electrocuting you. Once again, stay away from running or still water. Like, don't trust the water. So not only are we going to stay out of flood water, we're not going to go driving through it. Never worked in the Oregon Trail, so I don't <laughs> know why you think it would work now. Clearly, you always were supposed to caulk the wagon and float it. Right? I always tried to ford, though, and I always sank. Yeah, that's how you lose an oxen. 
But check on the status of transportation before you try to use it. So Sandy, we saw flooded subway tunnels. Um, You know, look at the roadways and see what's passable and what's not. Don't sit there waiting in the rain and wind for a bus that's never going to (laughs) come. Like, be aware of what your options are. We'll go into this more in Houston next episode, too, because this is more relevant then. But just just listen to your local authorities. They're there to help you. They don't just say it for fun. They don't just really like to have crowded freeways and panicked people. Like, you know what I want to do today? Panic an entire city. It's going to be fun. Well, the evil part of me that's always thinking of the worst case scenario would take a little bit of glee. And yeah, I could see it's like watching from like a high rise being like, interesting. This is what people are doing. I wonder why. Yes, puppets run. <laughs> run. <laughs> right along with that hurricane is we talked about extreme temperatures. So we talked about cold and hypothermia, but also like hurricanes sometimes come at a time when we're dealing with really extreme heat or extreme heat follows. And you've got this really built-up infrastructure holding the heat in against you. Yeah. And so if you're if you're in an urban heat island kind of situation, try to get out of your house. Get into large areas with circulating air, but not into direct sunlight. So go to a park that has, you know, tree cover. Grass. Um, yeah. Not Central just, Park. Yeah. Don't just hang out on asphalt directly in the sun. Drink all the water you can get a hold of. Don't forget the elderly. If you know that there are elderly people around you, make sure that they're okay. Uh, because... They are the most susceptible to heat exhaustion. And um, don't exert yourself. Skip the CrossFit. Skip whatever exercise you normally do. Like, this is not the time for it. So I shouldn't challenge you to 105-degree day CrossFit. If you want to kill both of us, you should. I don't understand. It's an unair-conditioned gym in direct sunlight on asphalt. Why don't you want to join me? You know... Maybe you should do this. <laughs> no. You'll have to find a new podcast host. I know. That's too much work. I'll like, don't worry. I'll like capture you and take you to the nearest park. And I'll be like, here, we can play Frisbee. All that comes down to do everything you can to maintain a cool core temperature, especially if we're talking about a heat wave following a major earthquake or storm surge event. But especially something that's following a major hurricane or storm surge event you might not have the same resources available to you. You might not be able to get help. And so you might be kind of riding it out in a more bare infrastructure than you normally have. And especially since um, for Urban Heat Island, people don't panic about it the way that they should because they're like, oh, it's just hot. Like, it's not that. What's the worst that could happen? A lot. A lot could happen. Cities are like a towel (laughs) that absorbs heat and just like holds it in as tightly as it can And then only very, very slowly releases it. So for our last survival at the moment, I'm going to do the nuclear meltdown, dirty bomb slash pandemic thing really quickly. I know it's not built environment, but it's still relevant information to have. And it's pretty simple, which is stay where you are. Um, If you must go outside, you know, wear gloves, don't touch anything. And like I said earlier, throw away every piece of clothing that you are wearing Go into your apartment, take a shower, find some potassium iodine, and just drink it. And then also use your duct tape to to tape up the air vents. There you go, folks. That's how you decon at home. I mean, that's <laughs> I know that's like that's like deep in like prepper prepper status, but I mean, all you need is duct tape and like 
like a little bottle of potassium iodide. I don't some plastic sheeting, a full yellow body suit. The biohazard suits, yes. Yeah. A book of UFO sightings. <laughs> Sorry. My um, mistake. They like homemade batteries. <laughs> um things to detox the soil around you. That reminds me, my friends were telling me once, they were so proud of the preparation they'd done and they have essentially this like prepper basement and they were like, you know, we've got everything we need to not only stay in our own home for a long period of time, but fortify it. And that really came down to like, they have many guns. And I was like, well, I guess guns are great until you run out of bullets. And they were like, no worries. We have the ability to make our own bullets. No. No. And I was like, I'm what? not going to tell you that you did this all wrong. But you did this all wrong. <laughs> That's so wrong. Your emergency you invested kit. the money yeah. to, to, like, build bullets instead of, like, grow grow like a greenhouse like you could have invested that money in so many better ways yeah i think a greenhouse would have been a better way to go and more useful on the day-to-day yeah like you know yeah you can like still have, like, you wouldn't have to ever go to the store to get like rosemary you could just go to like your like little greenhouse that's me i never go to the store for rosemary i neither i don't either because i have my little rosemary plants yeah me too it's doing very well prepping 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 aka choose your own adaptability adventure aka things that can be done to mitigate impacts yeah, basic preparation. If there's a hurricane coming and you don't have to evacuate, fill the bathtubs with water, have some, like, basic tarps. Um, they're just useful. Duct tape always. <laughs> a portable gas can. Don't bring your grill inside. You will die if you try to use it. I feel like we have to say this every episode, but... <laughs> In extreme cold, people bring their girls inside and kill themselves with carbon monoxide poisoning. So I'll just keep saying it till those deaths stop. So just unplug everything, put it on higher ground, you know, don't have anything very valuable near the floor, or just move it up. Like that, that is the blessing of hurricanes is that you do have warnings. And also, you know, know where the hospitals are. Know which uh, bridges are closest to you. Just look at the maps. New York has an amazing hazard website. So just read that. Find out where you are and then kind of, you know, use that to kind of figure out just thinking it through like what you would do. Because you don't want to be trying to figure out what to do as it's happening because that's how you make – that's how you freeze basically. They say that in like uh, emergency situations that 75% of people just like freeze and they don't know what to do. They have no idea. And then 15% of them are actually able to, like, do something. 10% just freak out and are completely useless and roll in everything even more. <laughs> but so be part of that 10 15%. Just, you just have to think about it once so that whenever something happens, instead of being like, what do I do? And then you see lots of people, like, heading down towards the water. Like, no to, like, go away from the water. Yeah, I call that plan now to evacuate later. Like, Already know your evacuation routes. Know where you're planning to meet your family so that if people are off at work and school and friends' houses, then you guys don't have to all converge at your home, which isn't safe to be in, and then go somewhere together. Everybody knows how to evacuate and where they're going to meet. Um, and another like big part of that is like creating go bags. Like when we talked about Seattle, we focus so much on the ability to shelter in place with this expectation that 
your home is the safest place for you to stay until services and infrastructure can come back online and you can start to make a plan about what next. But in a hurricane situation, if they tell you to evacuate, it's because your home is the least safe place for you to be. And so you can't be building these like bunkers or basements full of emergency supplies. It needs to be the key things that you need to survive for a few days in bags that are by doors, kept resupplied and ready to go. Yeah. And, you know, put put your materials in like two plastic bags just to keep them extra dry. It's good for camping, good for life. Put two bags on it. Double down. Yeah. You mentioned that New York Emergency Management has an amazing website, and they do. It's so cute, and it's full of these videos, my favorite being Mr. Preparedness, which is all about making those go kits. Oh, I didn't see that. It's a very good one. Okay, I had to watch it. Um, but they also, they have Notify NYC, and that is their communication system. That's how they're going to send people messages. It's an opt-in system, so get signed up. Like, the more information you have, the better decision-making you can do. So how do we make this better long-term? Um, well, I'm thinking just like don't let it rain and don't let there be hurricanes and um, prevent storm surge from happening. I think that's a great plan, Megan. And as God, I definitely have a lot of (laughs) say in whether this happens or not, right? Fighting the rain or just hoping that it won't happen is kind of an exercise in futility, as is, you know, investing your money in guns and weapons because that's not really going to help you in a hurricane situation. Just shoot at the clouds. So, ad- like, adapting is important. So if we um, – wetlands were – wetlands have always been very effective at protecting regions. Regions that have wetlands tend to have a lot less damage than the areas that destroyed their wetlands and built infrastructure up to the very edge because it, it is a, a sponge that absorbs the rain, that absorbs all of the wind. It, it's very protective. Um, and, and actually, New York City is investing more – into this kind, these kind of like green um, infrastructure um, options. Yeah, I think one of the things to remember when you're thinking about natural disasters in cities is that an, it's only as damaging as there is infrastructure to damage. So if you don't have things built in that storm surge area or you've built these natural protections that storm surge can't get to it, well, then it really isn't at risk and therefore you don't need to be concerned about how a hurricane might affect it because it's not within the risk area. So like when you build in an area that has these like hurricane risks, then you develop more and more expensive like risks and threats to your region. And I also love, I don't know if you've, but like New York City is suing um, a lot of major oil companies for climate change. Like, I think that's amazing. I hope that's they excellent. win. Yeah, because it's more about just, like, then them giving them money for the damages. It's more of, like, okay, so now that you know that you could actually be financially responsible for the actions that, you know, of putting all this carbon into the air, maybe oil companies will be a little bit more careful about the choices that they make. And maybe they'll invest in research and development in a way that helps bring us to a cleaner energy future even if they find a way to include oil in that vision. Thank you for joining us for This Is How We Die. Follow us on Instagram at This Is How We Die podcast. I'm Megan on Instagram as at M-A-R-Z-1-P-A-N. Marzipan. 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 And I'm Megan on Instagram as Megman. M-E-G-M-E-I-N.
A big thank you to our most patient friend and source of advice, Jordan, who's in my phone is Jordan the Sound Man. And is in my phone is Jordan Nadine, name of his wife. <laughs> um, we couldn't do this without you, literally, because this is a recording studio equipment time that we're using. Patience. <laughs> Until next time, prep on preppers. Wait, no, we need a better thing. <laughs> Remember, like, death only has to win once. I still love that. That's fine. Or, like, live to die another day. No, that's that's from, like, <laughs> James Bond, right? Yeah, I believe so. We shouldn't use that then. It's a trademark. Death only has to win once then. Well, that just makes it sound hopeless. That's true. 